in this, the last episode of season five, I'll be talking to someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a long time. He has been birding for 35 years. He was one of the hosts of the Better Birding webinars, and he is a fantastic person. I am pleased to introduce David Winter. We will chat about a wide range of birding topics. David's personal birding story, bird clubs, how he sees the past, the present, and the future of birding, how technology can be better used to help and grow birding, and a whole lot more. This is one of my favorite podcasts that I've recorded. Bring new life to your garden this spring with Westerman's Wild Bird Seed, a delicious seed mix attracting a variety of wild birds to your garden, now available in a 10 kg bag plus 1 kg free. Find it at various pet and lifestyle retailers across South Africa, online and in-store. Westerman's, for the love of birds. So in case you don't know, my name is Adam, and this proudly South African podcast is your weekly source of news about birds, birders, destinations, conservation, gear, books, and anything that we think birders will want to hear about. So, welcome to the show. There are two easy ways to support us that will cost you absolutely nothing to do. The first way is simply by telling someone else about the podcast. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with someone else. A second way is by following this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and take some time to rate and comment on it. These two steps help us to grow the podcast and to reach new listeners. Please drop us either a direct message on any of our social media platforms or send us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com and tell us where you listen to the show from. We would love to get to know you better. So this is the last episode of season five of the Burning Life podcast and I'm really excited today to get to chat to today's guest. So I want to welcome David Winter to the podcast. Hey Adam, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of podcasts and yours in particular, so it's amazing to be here. Oh, that's really cool. I think I, if I remember correctly, I think you guys were doing your better birding webinars more or less a little bit before us, but it was a, more or less the same kind of time we were we were we were running the running the two of them. Yeah, spot on. So we we started our better birding webinars uh, pre-COVID, and it was an idea that I came across when I was working in it um, an edtech business, education technology business, and we were using it to try and see if we could launch new education faculties in, in, in digital health. And I realized that the, the, the format of webinars could work really well in birding and no one is really doing it. And yeah, so it was really an experiment to start. And I got my, my, one of my closest birding mates, Mike Buckham, involved. And the two of us tried it. And uh, we first had to try and pitch it to a few people. A couple of people were skeptical, but we took it to Pete Ryan at UCT and he really liked the idea. And backed us, and he was he was one of our first guests. Um, and then um, it is great because BirdLife South Africa also really supportive. So Mark Anderson was always very encouraging and uh, did a great job at you know, marketing our webinars in the early days. And then uh, COVID hit, and then suddenly uh, yeah, webinars took off globally, and um, and that's where BirdLife actually started their own webinars, conservation conversations, which is an amazing resource, and and they've really taken it to the next level, which is very cool. It's quite interesting because I think when you guys were doing your webinars, it was probably the first time I'd heard of a program called Zoom. And I think quite a few people were quite skeptical. So it's quite funny because you guys were ahead of the curveball because all of a sudden when COVID came, everybody knew about Zoom. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Zoom Zoom's almost become a verb. It's, uh, yeah, it really was. Um, our timing was good. But um, yeah, the, the COVID wave definitely, um, I guess, swamped us when uh, everyone was suddenly on Zoom calls. But it was amazing running better birding webinars during COVID. I think it was level five and everyone was telling us to run more and more webinars. 
Um, and it was a fantastic experience. And we started off, we only had maybe 20, 30 people dialing in live. But by the end of it, you know, we had four, 500. So it really was an amazing medium just to get the birding word out there. So the question, obviously, that I've had a few people asking, are you guys looking to start the Better Birding webinars anytime again? Yeah, we'd love to. You know, we've always had the ethos that we wouldn't just do it for the sake of it. We wanted to make sure we had a good topic. For example, last year, there was a crested bun- uh, honey buzzard that pitched up in Somerset West, and there was some some quite interesting questions about its identification. So we got Callan Cohen on, and we did a... We went quite deep on honey buzzard identification, so that was quite a niche topic, but also also topical at the time. And actually, um, Mike Buckham actually uploaded. Well, I'm, 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 I've asked him to upload uh, a talk he recorded last night. So Mike was in Brazil earlier this year with his family, and he did a fantastic talk at the Cape Bird Club last week, and he recorded a version of it on Zoom last night. So that'll be another one we upload. So definitely keen to do more in future, but yeah, just just uh, need to find the time, but also the right topics. I think for those that haven't seen Better Burning webinars, which is really cool, is uh, some of the older, well, they're all older episodes now because you haven't done any new ones, but the episodes are all available on YouTube. And there's quite a few times I've gone through through those. I mean, there's still one there which I love on the, the differences between the buzzards. So for anyone that hasn't weren't, hasn't seen one of the webinars, I encourage you to go and check out the your, the YouTube channel. Um, we'll pop a link into the, you know, into the show notes. So, you know, let's, let's rewind a bit. Um, when we were chatting... And preparing for the episode, you mentioned that you've been birding for about 35 years. Uh, it's quite crazy, a long time to bird. So how did this birding journey start? Yeah, so I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a particular sort of spark bird or spark experience. I think it was a combination of events. I, I'm not sure how old you are, but um, when I was growing up, I must have been 10 or 11, uh, you know the breakfast cereal Wheatbecks, they had this series of cards that you could collect in the, in the actual cereal box. And if you if you put I don't know, a two rand um, in an envelope and, and sent it off to um, a particular address, it'd send you back a book. And all of the bird of prey, so 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 these were bird of prey cards, and they were all taken from Ian Sinclair's bird of prey book. And uh, you could collect those cards. So I really got into that. I had a friend who was also interested in it, and that got me interested in birds of prey. And and then also my my family used to holiday fairly often at Betty's Bay, and the one morning we were off to the beach. And there was a guy there bird ringing, which is, a, I guess, a sort of an inquisitive 10-year-old. I went over and asked him what he was doing. And uh, I then spent the morning with him helping him ring these birds. And it had, you know, the likes of Cape Sugarbirds and Orange-Breasted Sunbirds and all, the, all these famous birds, Cape Bulbuls, Robin Chats, all being caught in the net. It was an amazing experience actually seeing birds in the hand. But I had no idea what they were. And this guy then, when we got back to Cape Town, he then invited me out again. And I remember very clearly thinking to myself, you know, I really need to brush up on sort of identifying birds. So that, so the night before, I went and read through the book and tried to learn as many birds as possible. And, and so I guess it's a combination of those events. And that guy was George Underhill, which is Les Underhill's dad. And as we know, Les, Les Underhill is one of the forefathers of the Atlas Project. So, yeah, I think a combination of, of um, having a friend who was interested, meeting George and Les Underhill, and then a bit later, um, I guess when I was a teenager, um, I met Callan Cohen and Claire Spottiswood. So they were a similar age. Claire was a little bit younger than us, but Callan and I are practically the same age. And we met when we were 12 or 13 at Kirstenbosch Gardens. And we were at a very similar stage in our, I guess, sort of birding journey. I had never seen an African dusky flycatcher and Callan had never seen an African paradise flycatcher. And I just learned the call. So we, when we met, we then charged off into the garden. He showed me a dusky flycatcher. I showed him a paradise flycatcher. 
and then that was that was the start of our birding friendship and journey. We sort of carried on through through junior school and high school and into varsity, and and I guess uh, ever since then we've we've been birding together. Um, so yeah, I think combination of uh, those events and, and and birding friendship is really um, what got it going for me. Yeah, I think that's the one dimension that people often forget about when it comes to birding, and a lot of often people wonder why I enjoy birding. And I've mentioned this many times on the podcast. Obviously, the birds is a is a big part of it, but it's the people you meet, it's the experiences you have. And I think it's it's all those things together that make birding what it is. And I think for a lot of people, if they were to be honest, it's a lot more than just the birds. I mean, you'll even talk about the twitches. And when you're at a twitch, you get to meet people. You get to, I mean, remember on the flock to Marion cruise, just to chat to certain people. It's it's that, that's such a such an important an important part of birding. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's uh, it's uh, and I, and I think I think that's where birding's going. Um, in the future, it's becoming much more social. I mean, birding on its own can often be quite a sort of solitary pursuit. You know, people going off on their own and watching birds, but there's definitely a lot of value you can get from from you know birding, birding in groups, or even just being connected to other birders. And I think you know that's a role that bird clubs have fulfilled in the past, but something which I think you know is is being overtaken by. You know, our changing world, which is becoming far more digital, um, and somebody this sorry circling back on your previous question about you know what were my sort of formative birding experiences. I think mentors and you know mentorship are also sort of critically important. And you're know, growing up, um, you know we had the likes of John Graham and Peter Ryan and Jonathan Rousseau, Adam Riley, who who we also used to bird with, and and, and they were very, I guess, inspirational, but also you know would help us and guide us. Um, and I think that's also sort of a really important part of um, birding and encouraging younger birders to get involved. So the question I'm going to ask right now is going to have uh, we can unpack a lot throughout the interview, and I think this is going to you know adds a lot to who you are as a birder. So the question I want to ask is this: is besides David Winter being a birder, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself outside of the world of birding. You know what makes you tick? Yeah, sure. So I'm 46 years uh, years old. I'm a Cape Townian through and through. Born and bred, I was very lucky to grow up in Kirstenbosch Botanical Gardens. My dad worked there for about thirty-five years, so that was my that was my garden. I think that also influenced my my interest in birds. But my family my family wasn't interested in birds. My dad is very into plants. I'm married to Laura. She's a she's a Namibian, and we've got two young kids, Luke and Robin. Luke is seven, and Robin is five. So my life is very busy. I'm just, I guess, from a family life perspective. Then in terms of my background, I after school I studied environmental science and botany, so I've got a science a science undergrad, and then I went on to do a business degree as well, which kind of exposed me to the, the business world. And I, I've worked I've worked in a variety of different roles, but I guess a common thread has been that I've always worked in startup type businesses um, or, or new projects. I actually worked as a bird guide professionally for three years. So I worked with Callan at Birding Africa and Mike Mills, um, which was which was amazing working work, working as a bird guide. But for the last 10, 15 years, I've been working in the tech industry. So yeah, a variety of tech roles, mainly mainly commercial roles and and product focused roles. So really trying to trying to solve real world problems using using technology. And then in my spare time, I mean I'm interested in a lot of different things apart from birding. Birding's definitely my main passion. But I'm also very active. I, I mountain bike a lot, I run a bit, um, I used to play a lot of water polo. Um, I swim a bit, um, do some sort of triathlons, and yeah, so very much, very much outdoors, sort of family life, 
but all of you, I guess the, the main the main thing being birding. If I can if I can structure all those things around birding, then I'm a very happy person. So a lot of times we've been talking, you you know, we've had conversations, you've been rushing off to pick one of the kids up or, you know, we were preparing for this, the load shedding was coming and I heard one of the kids asking what's happening. He said, load shedding's here. So, you know, the one thing I, you know, I picked up from the conversations we've had is that family is a big part of your life. How do you you balance being a passionate birder with being a family man because you know for a lot of birders there's almost this disconnect between their birding world and the world of their family how do you get that balance right yeah it's tough i think you know when you're younger you've got a lot more time for yourself and you can be much more focused on on birding and you know your own interests so you know international trips and and really spending long long periods in the field but now, you know, you can still do the same, but it's just in sort of much more, I guess, a watered down fashion. So I, I still, I still, you know, I go to Kirstenmosh every weekend with my kids and we go and walk and they, they run around and not really, you know, that interested in birds yet. You know, they're still young. I'm still in the process of brainwashing them slowly, but um, I, I still make an effort to be outdoors. So you know, people, people, people say to me, like, where do you, where do you go birdwatching? And my sort of corny response is, I, I don't go birdwatching, I am birdwatching. It's almost sort of a, like a state of being. You're always, you're always looking out for birds and aware of birds, you know, even if you're at work or whatever you're doing. So I, I, guess, I, I guess I fulfill my birding needs in, in, in those ways. But then I also, I've got an understanding wife. So she, she's also very interested in the outdoors and loves, loves camping and things. So we also you know, go, and, go, and, go on birding trips or road trips that way. Um, so I definitely, I, I can't do it as, as much as I would like, or I, I guess as, as, as intensely as I would like. But you know, in time, um, one of my brainwashing projects, pulled, you know, comes all, pulled off. You know, like like Mike Buckham's done so successfully with Adam, then um, I definitely want to spend more time in the field and hopefully with uh, with my kids and my wife. So he has a little bit of a different question. But what is one of the best, almost worthwhile investments you've ever made as a birder? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think you know you can you can approach it from two sides. So you know, if, if one had to think about it from a in terms of a piece of equipment or I think back in the day, one would have said a really good pair of binoculars, um, and then that evolved into having a really good spotting scope. Because I think you know, when when you can scope birds, you can see them really well. But I think where where birding's gone in the last 10, 15 years, I'd say definitely, definitely a digital camera. You know, digital cameras have really changed birding a lot, um, as I think you know, digital has more broadly. And so, if, I guess from an object or equipment perspective, I'd say definitely a good digital camera. Then in terms of Approaching this from another perspective, I think an investment in time in learning bird calls um, is really something which can unlock birding and create a complete new aspect of birding. If you if you if you aren't tuned into bird calls yet, it can really sort of reinvigorate or add so much richness to your birding. So that's a big part of your birding journey. So let's just jump into that quickly. You know, for somebody that's listening, I've chatted to Fancy, who's another one of these guys that loves bird calls. And a lot of these well-known birders I listen to that, you know, bird calls is one of their passions. But I know for myself, um, it's a real struggle. Bird, learning bird calls is like, like trying to learn a different language. It's so difficult. So if somebody's listening and say, yeah, Dave, that's fantastic. We'd love to get better at learning bird calls and applying that in the field. What advice would you give them? I think just starting simply, so starting starting in your garden, literally, and 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 really just starting off by being just being more aware, so listening and and trying to see what's in your garden, see what calls your birds or your your local birds are making, be it a sort of a Cape Rodden chat or an olive thrush, but then really doubling down on that. So I mean, olive thrush has a bunch of different, you know, song, a call, a contact call, 
um, the same with Cape Robin Chat. So really trying to master your your local patch bird calls and and take the approach of when you go birding, you know you can even shut your eyes and just listen. But we always we always take the approach of never 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 stop birding or leaving an area until you've you've tracked down every bird call and you know exactly what every bird call is. And in the beginning, you know that will be most of the calls, so it'll be hard. But you know in time, you'll slowly slowly all of that knowledge will compound, and you'll know very quickly. You'll listen to bird calls and you'll you'll be able to you know, tick off or, you know, remove half the calls you're hearing, but there might be two or three calls that you don't know. So we would then actually actively pursue that bird, go and find it and work out what it is. And if you miss it, then next time you go back, do the same again. So it's just that approach of being much more mindful and tuned into bird calls. Uh, and, and it definitely, it definitely compounds. So when you, when you've worked out the, the common calls, the, I guess the less, uh, the less common or the more, more, um, yeah, the, the, the rarer calls will become more obvious and, uh, yeah, you'll become more aware that you need to try and figure out what they are. And then I'd say before you even go birding, just do your homework. So if you know, if you, if you go into an area where you know that, say, for example, you're going up the West Coast, north of Cape Town and you want to look for Karoo Lark in the West Coast National Park or Southern Black Quran, get onto Xeno Canto or any free resource or, you know, one of your, one of your birding apps. And listen to the call. You know, pick out pick out five birds that you'd really like to see, and 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 learn that call. You know, listen to it many times. And uh, when you go and you actually hear it and recognize it, it's incredibly rewarding. And that will, um, I think, just keep that interest and uh, yeah, interest going. So we've spoken a little bit about your starting the start of your birding journey. We've also spoken about your who you are outside of birding. So how has the type of person you are, your personality, and also your areas of passion how has that shaped your approach to birding yeah so you know working the sort of work i do working in startups i mean startups are effectively experiments you know people start businesses or start projects and it's very much based on an idea or a hypothesis and you've got to run a number of experiments to prove whether they work or not and so that requires um, a growth mindset so this idea of constant learning experimentation so compared to a fixed mindset where you 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 you, you think that, you know, you've learned all you can learn and you can't learn anything new. This is the complete opposite. So basically the sense that you you know very little and you still have so much to learn. So I like to take that approach to my birding as well. Um, and it's it's also highlighted like really important initiatives like uh, the Bird Atlas Project and all the, da- the uh, data we, we collect through that. So I'm a, I'm a regional uh, vetter for the Western Cape. I do that with Garrett. And um, yeah, just... Projects like that and initiatives like that, I've become much more aware of them and seen the importance of them. And it's, uh, you know, that all drives conservation projects and initiatives. And um, yeah, so I think that growth mindset, constant learning, um, and also that one doesn't know everything. You know, you have to, you have to go and try new things and experiment, uh, see what works, see what doesn't work. And when you face challenges or get things wrong, see it as an opportunity to learn and not uh, see it as a kind of a, a black mark against your name. As always, the Birding Life is proud to be associated with Sarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lasser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. One of the ways that you can help us to keep putting out the content that we are releasing is by supporting our online shop. We sell optics, books, Westerman's products, and a whole lot more. Check out the shop on our website, 
www.thebirdinglife.com. If you need any help with any of the products, please don't hesitate to email us on info at thebirdinglife.com. So you've been involved in birding for 35 years and, you know, even reading back, read stories of birders, how birding was before. I had um, chatted last week to the guys from the Atlas Project and hearing how Atlasing used to be. So birding has really evolved over the years. So in the 35 years that you have birded, you know, what things, what changes have you noticed in birding and how do you see the future of, of birding? Yeah, it's changed. It's changed a huge amount. So if I think back to when I was younger, I think overall birding's become a lot more democratized. And what I mean by that is in in the early days, you know, take 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 twitching for an example, you would only hear about a rare bird if you knew the right people. So it's very much about the twitching grapevine. Whereas now with access to information and data, you know, everyone's on different uh, WhatsApp groups or Telegram groups, you get that information immediately. And the same goes with information and tools. So we've got many more, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all these digital forums where you can first of all meet new people get access to new people you can uh, access information you can listen to podcasts like the birding life or better birding webinars you can learn a lot so i think in the past where information was very much kept either in people's heads or in in books um, and and you required a lot of experience to learn all of this and share it with you know, the people you knew a lot of that has been i think the barriers to entry so to speak have been removed and if i if I look at birders who have started birding, uh, I guess, in the last five or 10 years, and I look at how good they are, you realize, you know, just how, how I guess, birding's become so much more accessible um, than, than what it was growing up. You know, it, it, I, think, I think people can people can gain birding knowledge a lot quicker than, say, for example, we could 35 years ago, where you literally had maybe one or two books to, to learn from, and then you had to spend time in the field. And so I think there's a benefit back in the day where, We'd have to be much more hands-on, but uh, I think the the learning curve and the ability to to learn about birds and birding um, through through people and other digital means is is uh, is much easier. So yeah, I think I think that's been the the main change. And also, I think if you if you think about digital more broadly, it's all about data. And if you think about digital cameras, um, you know we've got we've got you know most birders carry a digital camera now, which means we have more photos, which means we have more bird identification data. So we're also getting better at identifying birds. 35 years ago, identifying or separating a ringtail, so a female pallet from a female Montague's Harrier, was seen as a real tough ID challenge. And there, you know, there were a few images of books and you know, some, some uh, text that you could read. But, but now it's pretty straightforward. You look at photos and you know, there are three or four salient features that, that you can look at and, and, and tell those birds apart quite easily. And that's very much because of more data, uh, which we which we're getting through digital photos. So we you spoke earlier about this whole you know, it's almost like this digital revolution. And you know, in the past, if you wanted that community aspect, probably even when you when you were a, a, a younger birder, you almost had to be connected to a bird club. Where nowadays, it's almost like everyone can connect to other birders through WhatsApp groups and through Facebook groups and through um, a whole lot of different mediums. So the question is, is do you see a future for bird clubs? I mean, I, I, I say this as, as probably as two people I believe who are passionate about bird clubs, but do you see a future for bird clubs and what changes do you feel and that bird clubs possibly need to make going forward to not just, you know, sustain member, the members they have right now, but also to to also uh, attract the younger generation? Because I think there's a lot of younger people who don't, who don't seem to see bird clubs as something, as, as something that is relevant for them right now. 
Yeah, so I think I think bird clubs definitely do fulfill a very important role, but I think in a different format. So I think the idea of people getting together and celebrating and enjoying birds is very important. But yeah, I mean, Mike Buckham is now the chairman of the Cape Bird Club, and, and he's facing this this very challenge. So he's he's you know his his role is how do you take the Cape Bird Club into the into the future, and it's I think the format of going to a hall and and watching, uh, watching the presentation on a kind of slideshow. There's still space for that, but I think as you say, young people don't necessarily want to do that. So I think podcasts, uh, webinars. Um, but uh, and then and then I think meeting sort of digitally online through like like we've seen through through forums on Facebook and uh, organizing events that way I think I think that's I think that's very much the future of um, bird clubs so I, I think face to face maybe less so or if there is face to face I think it should be in the field where one's actually watching birds it doesn't necessarily need to be in the form of you know bird club meetings I mean I think that's a transition we'll, I think we're already seeing it um, but I think it's something we'll see more and more as um, yeah with time. Yeah, the other the other thing which I've noticed is the the younger birders are. It seems like their their, their level of knowledge is incredible. I mean, there's guys like Yandre Fuster, Zach Simpson, Daniel Engelbrecht, Joshua Joshua Swensky. These guys are fantastic birders at a young age, and it's almost like in the past you 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 spoke about almost like this where where a few people had all the information, so you almost had to go to a bird club to get the information where. It's almost like now there's this, there's been this acceleration of knowledge. So it's almost like, you know, you say we're doing a talk on this. And I can imagine a lot of young people look and say, well, why do I need to go to that talk? I really know all that stuff because the information's there. So I think, you know, even in terms of the material that's been covered, it probably gets a lot a lot more challenging. Yeah, definitely. You're spot on. I mean, those young birders really are exceptional. And yeah, I think it's definitely, definitely access to information. I think the topics of the bird club don't don't really suit their needs, like you like you said. And um yeah, I, I I agree that we definitely need to rethink how bird clubs work, and um, yeah, set up set up structures that um, are more suited to these younger birders. I also think it's a function of there are just more birders out there. I think because birding has become so much more accessible. You know, when I was growing up, I was probably the only birder in my school of a thousand pupils, whereas now it might be sort of ten times that, which is still not huge, but it's much bigger. Um, so I mean, you've just rattled off you know four, five, six names. Um, when I was starting out, it was very much the only young birders we knew in Cape Town were, you know, myself, Clay Spottiswood, Callan Cohn, and up north it would be Dave Hodnott, Adam Riley, um, John Rousseau was down here. It really was a handful of people. And there definitely were birders out there, but I guess because everything was still analog, we just weren't in touch with one another. But that's definitely changed. So there, there are just many more birders, which is fantastic for birding. Yeah, so one of the things that has obviously revolutionized birding in South Africa is the Bird Lasser app. I know internationally it would be eBird. Um, there's still a lot of your older generation birders that maybe see technology as a bit of a, a hindrance to birding. Um, but I do think that technology is a fantastic tool that can really help us to grow birding and even to to help grow birders as a, you know in terms of their craft. You know, the, the one challenge we were talking about with this is almost this idea of when you get onto the, the, the field, you almost want to you, you want to disconnect from the world. You don't have a barrage of WhatsApp messages and phone calls coming through. So there's almost this this kind of like this balance. You're trying to like use the technology to help you in the field, but it, but the technology can also possibly be a, a distraction in the field. So how, how can we better use technology to, to, to both reach new birders and to grow to grow birders? Yeah, I agree. It definitely is a balance. I think. So I think we, I think we're in this phase where we birding is becoming a lot more digital. But I think 
I think if you look at some of the digital tools we have, they I wouldn't call them purely digital. I'd call them digitized. So they've taken analog ways of doing things. So in the past, you would have had a notebook and a piece of paper and a pencil and you would have written things down. I feel like we've taken that same approach, but we've just put it in a digital format. Format. So you now go into an app and you, you list in a similar way. So, so, so to me, that's digitized versus being purely digital. Digital is much more, takes much more, I guess, um, it takes, it takes, uh, it puts the, the, I guess the human, the human side and experience sort of core to how, how the product is developed. So very much there's this acronym called, um, riches, you know, stands for real time, intelligent, contextual, human, extended social. So those are all these sort of important digital elements that I, I feel these products should really focus on. So when you're in the field, you're not, you're not peering into the phone all the time or, you know, like you would have in the past, you would have been peering into a bird book. You actually want to be, you want to be unplugged from your phone. You want to use your phone to maybe log species, but it's very quick and it's very slick and it happens at the right time or you know, your, your kind of engagement with the phone is very, is very minimal. And you actually want to be, have your head up and walking about and looking for birds and really sort of enjoying what you're doing. So I think, yeah, like I said, I think we're in this phase where some of our digital tools are really just digital versions of, of kind of an analog process, whereas I think the new tools that are being developed or, you know, should be developed in future should should actually leverage the, the strengths of, of uh, what digital tools can give us. So first of all, being the data, um, data is really important. So showing people information based on their context, where they are, what they're seeing, who they are. Um, and then the human side, so the actual user experience, you wanting that to be as simple and as easy as possible. Um, so I think we, I think we're heading in the right direction, um, but yeah, we we still have a lot to learn. Yeah, but one of the weird things is, and this is not really in the world of birding as such, but it's something I've tried to apply into my own birding in some way, which is interesting. So one of the things that's quite a big hit at the moment is things like bullet journals, which is almost moving people away from digital, getting back to getting a pen and writing in a book. And there's there's whole studies about how that connects can it connects you deeper to what you're writing and that you know one thing I've done is obviously I use my bird lesson in the field and makes it's it's fantastic for recording birds but I have a little notebook now and I don't necessarily use that to record you know the birds I see but I use it to record just just different things I see in the field and it's and it's I find it's you know it's almost like a, like for me that's been a balance it's almost like I've got the bird that's to record the birds making it easier but I'm also able to you know record experiences and record different things I see on the field so it's I, you know there's ways to kind of balance the two and you know so if you're not fully into technology there is ways to to do it in a way that you can actually embrace both worlds yeah definitely I think it's also about the habits you form so, I mean I've got a I'm looking at a, a whole big plastic box here of my old birding notebooks I mean I spent two months backpacking through Ecuador. And I mean, I documented all of that in a notebook. And I, I love going back and, you know, paging through it and sort of sort of reliving all of those experiences. But I think I think there's definitely a space to to put that in a, in a digital format. But, you know, going back to the idea of habits, you know, we need to form good habits around when we are in the field, we are, you know, we are we are completely there and in the in the moment and not sort of lost on our phone. Um, but then also having the ability to, you know, add notes, capture experiences take photos, add that. So I guess what I'm saying is a, a digital notebook of, of those experiences. But, you know, forming the right habits and not and not being completely lost in the digital world, but actually enjoying enjoying the natural world. Yeah, so it's almost making sure that you're using technology to enhance your birding, not to take away from your birding. And I think if you can get that right, you, you're winning. Yeah, 100%. 
you know, the question I want to ask you is, and I've kind of drawn a little bit from this and, you know, from the discussions we've had, but how, if you, if you were to describe yourself as a birder, how would you describe how you approach birding? I think, I mean, if I had to describe my style of birding, I like to, I guess what I, maybe there's reality in what I would like to achieve, but I, I like it to be very immersive. So when I, when I go birding, I like to feel kind of at one with the environment. Um, I, I don't think we always realize how, how birds react to us. Like you often, you, I've been with birders who just, you know, go birding and they sort of charge around and are not really aware of, of how birds, you know, uh, respond and maybe flash or fly away or just don't sort of reveal themselves to us. So I like to, I like to bird quite slowly. Um, again, so, so that will depend on, on different habitats. So more open areas, you can be a bit quicker. But in, in, I guess, bushveld or forest, you know, you want to be a bit slower. So really plugging yourself in, you know, being in the moment, but, but listening to every sound, using all your senses. And I find that really grounds you and, and uh, I think, you know, mentally um, helps you unplug from, from sort of, uh, you know, the rat race. And um, yeah, so that's, I'd say that's, my, that, that, that's how I describe myself um, as a birder. Yeah, I remember a few weeks ago, I uh, went on a Friday afternoon. I had like an hour to kill and I went down to a local park. I don't think a lot of birders actually go to this park, but there was a, a, a three fig trees that were that had fruit on them. And I kind of, you know, went along, looked on the sandbanks. There were a couple of waders on the sandbanks. And eventually I came into this park and I parked my car under this tree and I, I sat there for about half an hour, 45 minutes. And it was absolutely amazing. You know, when I first stood there, there was like nothing. But the more I sat there, all of a sudden uh, there was uh, a, these green pigeons which were sitting still in the tree started to move around. And then the bulbuls started calling. There were there just were so many birds and this, these trees came alive. And I think if I just, you know, kind of recorded, 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 you know, kind of gone under the tree, what do I see quickly, 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 five minutes move on, I would have missed so much. And I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's also adapting your your style of birding, not just to the environment you find yourself in, but to the conditions. And I think sometimes there's, you know, I find myself at, at times where I get under a tree, I'm like, okay, this is really cool. I'm enjoying this. And I'm enjoying watching the birds I'm seeing. But there's almost like a part of us that wants to rush into the next thing. And I think sometimes just staying put, just spending the time there, you're going to you're gonna enjoy the birds a lot more. And you're, gonna, you're actually going to you might not have as many birds on your list, but the experience is going to be is going to be a lot is going to be far greater. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I also one of my passions is raptor watching. So Kirstenbosch Gardens on here on the eastern side of Table Mountain is a very underrated raptor spot. I mean, I've had had 12, 12 species in a morning, but I love just standing in one space or you know one spot for three or four hours, and you know, just through the morning you'll see you know early on you'll get the um, exhibitors up and around, and then later on when it warms up the buzzers come out. And the harrier hawks, and then you know falcons, kestrels. It all just happens, but it all unfolds in front of you. And you know, if you if one just had to walk through that environment, you wouldn't see a single raptor. But if you spend, if you put in the time, um, it all just reveals itself as you wait there. A question that could be answered many different ways, and I want to hear your your answer to this is how. What do you think makes a person a good birder? So I think, I think as as humans, you know, we we inherently. Sort of measure ourselves up against others, and you know, a common way of doing that is is is, is the life list. But for me, I think birding is a very personal thing, and you know, some people some people choose to go very deep on things, or others, you know, may go may go very wide. For example, I mean, I know a few ornithologists who are absolute experts in maybe the life history of birds or the you know the biology of a few species, 
but they're actually not very good in the field in sort of in terms of identifying other birds outside of their outside of their particular research topics. So it's very much down to the individual, and I think that's always important to remember is that it's it is a it is a personal thing. So I think you know life lists can be fun, and you know it's, you know everyone likes a, a bit of a challenge, and um, I think I think that's good for yeah just for I'd, I'd say it's one measure, but um, for me I don't see it as very important. Um, for me, I, I I think what makes a really good birder is um, it comes down to field craft. So it goes back to my comments earlier about how one approaches birding. I think when you see people who are really in tune with the outdoors, um, they have amazing senses. Um, so when they go into environment, um, they're very good at uh, you know picking up picking up uh, you know either bird movement or bird calls and um, yeah you know, picking up features, identifying things. So for, so for me, field craft is um, really important and uh you know everyone's a bit different so i think i think with the rise of digital and uh photography you get some people and and i feel like it's almost like a different skill you know these days you see a lot of digital photos being shared saying what is this bird what is this bird what is that bird that that to me is almost a different skill to being in the field and identifying a bird because in the field you you can see it's jizz its movement you know what it's doing it's it might be calling it's just you, you have a lot more information whereas with a digital photo you're looking at it and it's completely sort of one-dimensional. So yeah, I'd say for me that the measure would be, first of all, it's personal, but secondly, I'd say um, just field craft. Yeah, and I think the, the, the uh, this is going to be quite controversial now because this is not true of everybody, but the truth is that I don't feel that the how big your life list is is what determines that you are a good birder. There are birders with big life lists that are fantastic birders, but there's also birders with big life lists that just have a good bank account. And, you know, we were, when we were preparing for this, I was thinking about this, you know, a guy like uh, Junior Gabella, for example, who is, a, you know, one of the best birders in Zooland, one of the one of the, the bird life South Africa community guides. I mean, his life list might be a little bit smaller than some of the other guys, but when you go to Intanzini and you go to Shawi and those areas there, he is a fantastic birder. He might not be good at some other areas, but he's, you know, in terms of that there, I think he's, you know, if we were to talk about what makes him a good birder, he understands the habitat, he knows where to find birds, he knows how to um, locate birds in those, I mean, a place, some of the places in Goya and that can be quite difficult to bird him, but he can find the birds. And I think, you know, sometimes what people define as a good, what, what makes a good birder isn't always what makes a good birder. I think it's you know, the fact that you have a big life list could show that you're a good birder, but, you know, it's not just that. There's a whole lot of other things that come together that I think is how I define what a good birder is. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. So you you kind of touched on it earlier, but, you know, this this idea, which is something which I've never actually thought of, and this was quite interesting on, on how we adapt our approach to birding depending on the environment we're in. Could you just elaborate? I know you, you kind of touched on it a little bit more, but touch on it a little bit more. How do we you know, how, how can birders apply that practically in the field? Yeah, I think it also depends on your goal. So if you, if it's a birding big day, obviously that's a very specific approach. You are rushing around flat out, just trying to cover as much ground as possible and trying to record birds. But I think generally just, you know, when you go birding, you know, my approach and how I, how I think about it is just being very aware of your environment and different habitats and, and just uh, watching birds very carefully and being, and being very thorough. So if you're in a more sort of open wetland type habitat, you know, stationing yourself in one spot and, and just being scanning an area and then scanning it again and again and again, because you'd be amazed, you know, you might have scanned something five times, you scan it the sixth time and the painted snipes popped out or an African rails has popped out or just, you know, being, so being incredibly thorough. 
Whereas if you're in a more sort of open, maybe sort of bushy habitat, it's more about moving around, but doing it in a particular way where you are, you know, very aware of birds that you might flash, but uh, taking moments to pause, um, yeah, tuning into the sounds you're hearing, the birds you're seeing. And then again, in a forest, it, it's, it's, you know, it's generally more sort of bird, bird party type birding. So being patient and just moving very slowly. So it really depends on habitats and, um, and your, I guess, your objective. Um, but for me, definitely taking a kind of a slow first approach is is, is the way I would uh, tackle it. So as we start getting to wrap up, you know, I could chat to you about so much more, but here's a Tim Ferriss type of question. In many areas of life, people speak about the need to grow themselves continually. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has helped you most to improve your birding? Yeah, so I think I think for me, it's, you know, this whole idea of a growth mindset and constant learning and is, is this realization that we, we actually know so little about birds and, you know, be it their identification or, you know, biology, life history, whatever it might be, we know, we know so little. And, you know, with that in mind, it's often, oftentimes we're wrong. Um, and I guess for me, it's been, it's been getting more comfortable with the idea that you, know, you can be wrong. And if you are wrong, using it as an experience or, you know, a learning, a learning opportunity. So being, being, being more open-minded, experimental to how I, um, you know, go, go birding, how I identify birds. Yeah, I'm just, uh, as I said, getting, getting comfortable with, uh, with uh, making mistakes. And um, I, uh, yeah, I think um, that, would, that would be it. So, you know, when it's all been said and done, how do you want people to remember you wonder? So I'm definitely not a kind of flashy limelight sort of person. So I think from a, from a birding perspective, I just like to be known as someone who's contributed to birding, you know, encouraging other birders, um, growing birding, helping nudge it into the future. I'm, I'm working on a, um, a digital birding project with some friends, um, which is essentially a sort of a social listing, listing app, which we hope to have out in the next few months. Um, and that's, you know, the idea and thinking behind that, it's very much about encouraging birding encouraging more social birding, but also, importantly, conservation. No, Dave, it's been fantastic to chat to you. I know we're going to have you um, on the show quite soon. Um, you kind of, we already alluded to some stuff, projects that are coming up, and it's been exciting to chat about the next, uh, hopefully next season. Um, and yeah, I'd love to just chat a lot more. I think there's so much more we haven't even covered in this episode. Um, obviously, time is always limited, but it's been great to chat to you. You've been a guest I've wanted to have a long time. I wanted to have on the show for a long time. So thanks for being on the show. And I can't wait to chat again. Thanks so much, Adam. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's show. We really appreciate your support. If you have any comments or feedback on any of the episodes, feel free to drop us an email on info at thebirdinglife.com or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to get to know you better. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.